This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Going in Circles Live, everyone. Uh, I kind of screwed up the microphone. Which is why there was a short little delay, but uh, glad everyone's tuned in and and listening. We have um, kind of an interesting show today. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to have, we talk a lot about marketing. We talk a lot about owning horses. We talk a lot about betting on horses. And uh, our first guest is is someone that that has owned some horses. He he bets on lots of horses. And uh, he's actually a professional uh, marketing person uh we're gonna have evan friedman on here about 3 15 3 20 uh at four o'clock uh we're gonna have a trainer that's that's relatively new to the south florida circuit uh he showed up here last uh spring uh named jeff engler engler uh just uh won a nice race the hutchinson this past weekend at uh gulfstream with uh willie boy uh, we're going to talk to him and, uh, you know, a little bit about his background and, and how he wound up landing in South Florida and, uh, seemingly, you know, starting to have some success. Uh, at four 30, we're going to have, uh, Tammy Gant and, and Crystal Ferning on talking about, um, the TRF is having a, uh, along with the Florida horse charities is having a, um, an auction, uh, coming up and, um, the Fairnings have have donated a, a really interesting piece of art that they uh, have had a, at their farm for over ten years. That they had won at an auction um, years ago, and uh, they're donating that. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, that piece of art and, and the new uh, TRF program down here in Florida that uh, that it's going to benefit. Hopefully, uh, they get a, a, a big chunk of money and. Um, they can do a whole lot of uh, good things with it. Um, today is March 9th, and uh, one of the themes <laughs> that I've, I, I honestly have not really successfully accomplished uh, in the last few months is trying to be a little bit more upbeat and a little bit positive because there's plenty of negative about horse racing. And uh, today, unfortunately, is... Um, kind of a milestone as it's one year ago since the widespread uh, arrests were made uh, in both the thoroughbred and harness game um, by the FBI. It's it, it seems like it's 10 years ago. It really, it's hard to believe it's only a year ago, but it was a year ago today. There was an article in the blood horse today and that just kind of seemingly meandered all over the place, and I'm not really sure what the whole point of it was, other than um, uh, to be kind of the uh, promote more gloom and doom. But um, we're not going to talk about that because, you know, we're not going to talk about negative things because today, March 9th, is also the birthday of the great John Henry. And... When you talk about all that's good in, in, in horse racing and all that's um, 
All, all that, that that will make you a fan for life, the things that that will just bring you, uh, you know, amazement. And it happens a lot, but the fact is that horses like John Henry don't happen a lot. Um, and we probably will never, I mean, I can almost guarantee we'll never see another horse quite like him. Um, certainly the game has changed some. It's, it's not like it was, but but John Henry was, was truly a great horse. And he didn't have the most spectacular record. He wasn't undefeated. He had very, very humble beginnings. He, he was an $1,100 yearling. Uh, and that those were uh, nineteen seventy six dollars, but still, we're not talking. Uh, um, you know, he he wasn't a blue blood. He was by old Bob Bowers, who who had one other good horse, a horse named Bad Wagon Harry. But he really wasn't uh, much of a sire. His his female family didn't really have much going for it. He he started. Uh, I think his first race was at Jefferson Downs, which is a a long defunct track. Um, outside of New Orleans, and he was a, a not a not a nice horse. He was a, a mean horse, uh, not very well mannered. He was gelded relatively early, and he kind of clunked around for a little bit, um, and wound up in New York. Uh, and he was running in claiming races, and he just kept winning, and he just kept winning, and he kept winning, and he wound up. Uh, when he wound up winning seven Eclipse Awards. He was the Horse of the Year in 1981 and 1984. He was champion turf male in 1980, 81, 83, and 84. Uh, he was also the champion older male. Back then, they used to call it Handicap Horse in 1981. Um, he, won, uh, he, he won a, a ton of races. Uh, I think 25 graded stakes. He was uh, the oldest horse ever to win the Horse of the Year at age nine. He, at the time, was the oldest horse ever to win a grade one at age nine. Uh, he competed at over 18 different tracks. He had, had 13 of them he won. He won the Hollywood Invitational three times. He won the Oak Tree Invitational three times. He won the San Louis, San Louis Ray twice. Uh, he won the Santa Anita Handicap twice on the dirt. Um the Jockey Club Gold Cup in 1981. He 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 won that also on the dirt, um, and it was some crop. Um, his three-year-old crop, and a lot of times we get talking about the three-year-old crops. And the last couple of weeks, I think this this past weekend's Derby preps really kind of uh, to me cemented the fact that this is a very shallow group of three-year-olds, meaning that there's some really nice horses. But the the B teams are, are generally just um, uh, they're just not there. Whether they're not not that they're not talented, but in a lot of ways they're just uh, a, a lot of horses that haven't really proven much. They haven't run much and they haven't proven much. And and um, I mean the fact that two of the three winners of the Derby preps, the the winner of the Tampa Bay Derby. Uh, helium and and Jimmy Jerkins' horse uh, won the Gotham. Neither was was an early nomination to the Triple Crown, so um, I, I don't know that there was oversight. It, I think just these horses came to hand a little faster than they thought, and maybe a surprise the connections as as they were uh, not uh, not favored at all. Of course, uh, life is good. Was Barry said on the uh, the podcast last night was was probably nominated to the triple crown at his conception. But, um, you know, he, he's certainly the, uh, 
you know you figured would would be there but but when you go back and you look at the crop of 1978 and it's easy to to forget that um all these other horses raced that year as three-year-olds and, and, and as older horses because of affirmed and alidar and the great battles that they had in the triple crown with you know culminating with affirmed just nipping alidar three times in a row to to become uh, a you know triple crown champion alidar of course the the only horse ever to run second in all three races but when you talk about the 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 quality of horse that year you had sensitive prince who was trained by by alan jerkins who said he was as, as good as any horse he ever trained uh darby creek road who was an extremely fast horse uh nasty and bold dave's friend who was a great sprinter uh believe it and and then there's john henry um affirmed and alitar were were uh were, were long retired when john henry was winning his first horse of the year award uh let alone his his third horse of the year award uh he just was he he just was that horse he he showed up and it's just not seen anymore and and i'm guessing that we're never going to see it again just a horse that raced uh all over the place he raced in the west coast he raced in the midwest he raced uh, on the east coast um and interesting I, i don't know that he ever raced in saratoga I actually have to look at his PPs to see if he had because I, I don't recall him ever running there, and and I wasn't that old when he was racing. But um, in my memory, is you know not quite as good as it used to be. But um, he did most of his his, his running uh, on the turf. But but he also he, he was able to win Grade Ones on the on the dirt as well. I mean, the Jockey Club Gold Cup when he won it in 1981 was kind of. Uh, similar to to what the breeders cup classic would be these days and then this was when the new york fall championship meet the belmont fall championship meet really was that and the breeders cup really has diluted the belmont fall meet as much as anything else and you used to have a series of races the woodward the uh the marlboro cup and the jockey club gold cup all at belmont in the fall and if you were wanting to be champion, uh, older male and handicap horse, and or horse of the year, th- those were the races that you wanted to race in. And John Henry won the Jockey Club Gold Cup on the dirt. Uh, he also won the Santa Anita Handicap twice. He once he he was moved up on disqualification, though it was a pretty legitimate disqualification. Uh, the fact is that we don't see horses like that anymore that that are winning on both surfaces. It was kind of uh, ironic that the horse who won. The Saudi Cup was coming from turf, and you know that's a, that's crazy. Uh, it was kind of nuts that the um, the Churchill Spring Stake schedule was released, and I I don't know why, but I, I thought that thirteen point six million dollars didn't even include the Derby, and it did. And I was thinking the entire. Spring meet at Churchill Downs had thirteen million dollars worth of stakes, and um, now Saudi Cup itself was a twenty million dollar race. And and John Henry back when there was very few. I mean, the Arlington Million was essentially the only million dollar race, um, and, and you didn't have these three and four and six and ten and fifteen and twenty million dollar races. John Henry might have won forty million dollars in purses. Um, 
had he been running um, these days, of course, he wouldn't be running nearly as much. I mean, he, he made 83 starts in his, his lifetime. He won 39 races. And he made $6.5 million, which when you consider that the only million-dollar races that really existed were, were the Arlington Million and uh, I think the Hollywood Futurity back then was a million dollars. That was a two-year race. But he was just something else. And uh, I want to play one clip uh, of him winning his second Arlington Million. Secret is third, but here he is, a living legend, John Henry, by two on the wire. Royal Heroin second, awfully close for third. It could have been Gata Del Sol. That's the great Phil Georgeff, who was a, a mainstay in Chicago as an announcer at Sportsman's in Arlington Park, calling John Henry's second Arlington Million win um, when he beat uh, the likes of Royal Heroin, who, who was a, a great horse uh, in her own right, um, he was just a—he was just an amazing horse, and he was not nice. He was mean. As a matter of fact, I went to see him at the Kentucky Horse Park um, years years later, and he bit me. But um, he bit pretty much everyone that tried, uh, and, and he was—he was kind of a plain-looking horse. He, you know, you, you look at him, and and at that time he—he he, he was pretty old. Um, but he, he never he never really looked like a uh, he, he didn't have the look of eagles or, or so they say he he was just kind of a plain looking horse and uh, but you put the saddle on him and, and you you threw him in the race at the quarter pole and uh, he didn't lose many he didn't lose many stretch jewels that's for sure and he passed away at thirty two in, in two thousand seven and uh, just wanted to kind of talk about something that's a, a positive because there's so much negative to talk about and um you know having having been able to see him for most of his career um it was uh it was fitting when i when i saw that uh, today was uh was his birthday so john henry was uh one of a kind um another one of a kind in a different manner is uh is joining us now uh evan evan friedman how are you good Chuck. how you doing uh doing very very good uh you know, early in the show, I was kind of previewing who was going to be on, and I said that uh, on the show we talk a lot about uh, about betting. We talk a lot about the uh, the ownership side, and and we talk a lot about you know new ideas and marketing and things like that. And I said we're going to have a guy on that he kind of does all three of those things. So um, welcome to the show, and uh, um, I, I I set the bar high, so so you gotta you know you gotta swing for the fences. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of all three of those, to say the very least. So you have a um, you have yourself a you have a, a marketing um, business. Yes, I have a uh, small media marketing business uh, that I handle local and national clients. And as a matter of fact, I've handled you know some uh, larger racetracks that we're both familiar with. From a media standpoint, mm-hmm. so, and 
that's another part of the business that I've uh, been fortunate to learn the inside of running a racetrack from a marketing standpoint because I work with the uh, marketing executives and the team at the at the racetrack. Right, and and you know, people. Uh, I mean, obviously, the racetrack uh, and, and its its place in the 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 gambling world is is an evolving thing and it's a changing thing because uh i mean when we grew up racing was kind of the only legal sport there was that 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 had wagering on and now it's kind of a a crowded market absolutely and i think once the uh rest of the states fall in line not sure where uh florida stands but once they fall in line and it's the majority of the United States, I think that it's going to get even more crowded and every sport's going to be in play. Now, now you were involved, um, you've, inv- you've been involved in another sport that's uh, kind of talked about, you know, thought of as, as an old school sport. Um, talk about that a little bit. Are you referring to boxing? I am referring to boxing, yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, interestingly enough, and uh, the two sports have a lot of similarities. I mean, uh, from a negative standpoint, as far as my opinion is, neither one of them have a national governing body. And they're, uh, each event, you know, racetrack or boxing event is run by the state, the, you know, the state gaming commission or, uh, you know, the state boxing commission. And uh, so there's a lot of similarities in, uh, in that. There's, unfortunately, some similarities, and there's a stigma associated with, uh, with both sports. Um, but with that said, you know, horse racing is the sport of kings, and boxing is one of the oldest, uh, uh, it might even be the oldest sport, um, human sport uh, going today. Yeah, people people have been fighting for uh, thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, even when it wasn't called boxing, it's probably the uh, definitely the oldest uh, form of entertainment. Let's entertainment. Let's call it that. Yeah, well, I, I'm uh, boxing. I'm sorry, boxing was was great, and horse racing is great. There's nothing better, in my opinion, than um, being ringside at a uh, at a boxing match, a top level boxing match. And the only thing that, you know, uh, compares to it is uh, being at a top-level horse race where, you know, the thrill of the event is uh, unbelievable. I think yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the famous fight of the century between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier at Madison Square Garden um, Back when uh, they were both undefeated in 1971, they were both undefeated fighters, and uh, it, it was just uh, you know it was before before my time. But uh, it's always been talked about as, as this gigantic spectacle. It was one of the first sporting events that was more than just a a game, a sporting event. And um, you know, Frank Sinatra was there taking photographs. I mean, he, he was covering the fight um, as a photographer. And uh, Clyde Frazier on the Knicks game the other day was talking about how he was there and 
he said, uh, you know, Clyde's kind of an outlandish dresser and wears furs. And he said, he goes, I wasn't even in the top 10, you know, best dressed uh, uh, people uh, at that fight. And uh, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, the parallels of racing and, and, and boxing are, are are similar in that at the top of the sport, um, I mean, the, 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 the best fights, the biggest fights, the biggest fighters, it's still really great. It's just that um, it's like racing at the you know on the triple crown events and the big days and the Breeders Cups. I mean, it's it's great racing. It's just that everything else seems to like not quite be up to par. Exactly, I agree. You know, you held an event, uh, top you know level boxing event in Madison Square Garden, the mecca of boxing, which is fortunately where I where I worked and who I worked for. Um, or you hold a Breeders' Cup, you know, similar. Everybody comes out, a Kentucky Derby, everybody comes out. The, you know, the stigma associated with any of the sport, you know, goes falls by the wayside, and everybody has a tremendous time and enjoys the event. I've never heard anybody walk away from either of those two types of events saying they had a bad time or they were disappointed. Maybe Tyson Douglas was disappointing, but uh, it was a. <laughs> it certainly wasn't for the betters who bet the Buster Douglas. Right. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't one of those. <laughs> but uh, I think that the similarities, are, you know, are, are very true, and that's what both sports, you know, really needs to uh, call it market from because they know how to do the top level right. And the rest of it, like you said, it's hard to um, convey the same type of excitement and messaging to, you know, to the rest of the world with everything going on, especially with, uh, you know, with sports wagering right now, which, in my opinion, horse racing is going to have to uh, adapt to. Let's put it that way. Yeah, we, we've talked about that quite a bit here, that... Uh... It's frustrating when when the racetracks themselves are, are fighting with each other and and they're fight, and we're fighting the horsemen are fighting with the tracks and um, we're not able to come up with um, uh, a cognitive plan to to uh, to to fight the real enemy which which in my opinion is is sports wagering and I think that the people in this business that believe that uh, the passage of sports wagering and widespread acceptance and legality of sports wagers is going to somehow benefit us. I, I just don't see it. I see it the opposite. I see it um, as taking uh, people and money away from our sport. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are a little hesitant. I mean, we all know uh, a guy that knows a guy that if we want to get a sports bet down, that we probably could. Um, and, you know, the last, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years, there's been a lot of uh, offshore uh, accounts you can bet on the internet, uh, of which the legality was always a little bit, you know, questionable. Um, but when you're able to do it legally and set up an account legally with a, a United States based company where you, you know, you're going to get paid and, and, and you know, you're not going to have, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the feds knocking on your door because you're betting offshore. I, I think those type of betters are, are far more likely to be horse players than, um, than the slot players because I mean slots is just pushing a button and watching a thing go around circles where uh, you know racing and sports kind of 
there, there's an uh, analysis and, and um, you know, a strategy to it. And, uh, I mean, I'm fearful of, of sports wagering and uh, for, for horse racing itself. And I just don't know that the powers that be are just taking it seriously enough. Well, I think that once it becomes more prevalent in the states where a lot of these major players have racetracks, right now um, you look at the Naira, it's not in New York, but everybody's you know, traveling over to New Jersey. Uh, I'm not sure about Kentucky and certainly California and Florida, which are you know, the other major player in horse racing, the Astronic Group. It's not in their backyard yet. So I think they're ignoring it um, and not being proactive. Because once it becomes in their backyard, the casual horse racing player who may generate 20, 30% of their, you know, their revenue, they may lose them to, uh, you know, instead of over the weekend going to the racetrack, playing, uh, you know, on the FanDuel or the other ones, um, you know, playing sports. Now, they, their answer to it, my guess, is that they will have, because they have the racetracks in those states, they will have a um, a partner to get some of that revenue. But if their content is not part of the overall, uh, you know, betting platform, if they're going to get such a minute piece of it that I think they're, you know, being uh, short-sighted. And they have more to lose than to gain when it comes to that. Because even if they partner with one of the larger betting uh, outfits, the FanDuel's or the DraftKings or whoever, uh, they're the ones who are going to make the most of it. Um, and the content's not going to necessarily be on their platform. And the weekend warrior, as we call them at the racetrack, may turn around and stay home and play all the, uh, you know, all the other sports that are available to them now that weren't before. Yeah, and you know, it used to be when you were betting with your local book um, or, or even on most of the, the, the offshore accounts, you were betting kind of straight-up games. You were betting money lines. You were betting points. You were betting halftime lines and things like that. There were, there were some props, but not much. Now, with these big corporate um, <clears throat> entities like FanDuel, um, th- they're offering all kinds of parlay wages. They're offering all kinds of um, you know different methods that you can bet a little to try to make a lot which was the one advantage that we always had in racing was we had exotic wagers we had uh pick sixes pick fives pick fours uh ways that you could bet a little bit and and make a big score and now that they're they're kind of matching it even that advantage is 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 gone and um it's kind of interesting that uh fan duel is is kind of and this is kind of going under the radar because it it it's a track that just is like totally off the, the, the beaten path. Um, and, and that's FanDuel has, has purchased Fairmont park, uh, the track in, in, in Southern Illinois across the river from St. Louis. And they're, they're, you know, kind of running an experimental meet of sorts. They're putting some money into the place. Um, and, uh, they're, I think they're doubling the purses, and of course the purses were were laughably low. I mean, I think we were talking about um, maiden specials were like seven thousand. So oh, wow. uh, they're going to bring back the St. Louis Derby, 
which which has been gone for about 15 years uh the $250,000 race and they're they're going to they're going to modernize the 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 place and uh put some technology in they're going to have a a regular sports uh book in there and uh it'll be interesting to see um how successful that is uh, i mean FanDuel uh, does own TVG so this is uh, the first time that they've actually invested in a racetrack as well as uh, you know just the, the, their their entry into the racing game was was via TVG but uh it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the results of that are and, and when what kind of things they do there and um do they come up with anything innovative or or new you know a new approach uh, I'd really like to to kind of follow that uh, this summer and and see what happens and like I said I mean um, if I didn't have a friend that rode a couple of races there a couple of summers ago, I wouldn't have even known Fairmount Park was actually still racing. But um, yeah, right. Uh, but uh, this is kind of a, an interesting thing, and and it might wind up being a, a far bigger uh, have far bigger implications for horse racing than you know most everything else that we see because this is a you know Fanduel's a gigantic player in this in that in that market that sports betting market uh, internationally and um you know if they if they can have some kind of success with this maybe you know they they'd be inclined to try it other places as well i i agree i mean one of the things missing on, on their platform because it's not profitable to them and they don't have permission is using race racing as for content as a sport I guess they don't want to pay for it um, or haven't made a deal with the racetracks. In this case, obviously, you know, they can put it on there because they own the content and see if it works from a standpoint of making money and experimenting on what could be popular and things like that. And in my opinion, it's great because that could open up doors for racetracks and sports um, betting operators to partner up uh, which, you know, they will have to. I think the racetracks will have to at some point uh, to not lose those customers to uh, the sports, you know, sports betting platforms. Yeah, I really, I agree, and, and uh, I hope it, it works. I really do because um, if they just, if they just try, if they just wanted to destroy racing, um, I mean, they could just, probably do it and, and eventually just just by basically taking our customers offering them um more rebates offering them more um incentives to bet and and that's that's the one issue that i mean it's a very controversial issue in, in this business is that um certainly people realize the 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 amount of money that's uh handled by the people getting pretty significant rebates in thoroughbred racing uh is is a is a big number um, it's a matter of how do we get everyone else interested? How do we, um, you know, stimulate the the normal players, um, you know, to to play more? And and wh- where are you know wh- wh- where is the rebate too much? Where is it where we're giving away too much? Um, I don't know. It's it's a complicated situation, but uh, but certainly uh, as as we've seen in some areas with racinos that uh you know the racinos are, are a far more efficient way to uh to gamble um from a an operational standpoint they don't have to have 
uh, barns. They don't have to maintain a racetrack. They don't have to have, uh, you know, the massive water bill and insurance bill and, uh, they're, they're, you know, the salaries that they have to pay for security and, uh, j- just, you know, having a backside itself, has got to be a, a huge expenditure. And, um, you know, hopefully FanDuel is able to come up with some innovative ideas and, uh, uh, you know, like advance the sport because uh, if we're not growing, you know, you're you're dying in this in this day and age. Yeah, I hope there's value because right now when you go on FanDuel, DraftKings, those platforms, uh, the only sport, one of the only sports that's not on there is horse racing. And is that because FanDuel doesn't see it being valuable enough to pay uh, the tracks? Or is it too complicated to pay the tracks as opposed to paying, you know, and partnering up with a league? Um, so I'm not exactly sure, but until the content is there, I think that the biggest loser has to be horse racing. I don't know if you agree, but um, without that being there, the, the sports better doesn't see it. And I'm sure there's, more to it than what um, I'm thinking. But even if they were, like you said, prop bets, to me, there's prop bets on the Super Bowl with the NBA, there's prop bets all the time. Why aren't you could make prop bets even if it doesn't have to go into the, uh, the paramutual pool and, and, and things like that that might make it not, you know, might need permission from the state gaming commission and things like that. But you could make prop bets by whoever wins a certain race by how many lengths versus. Uh, players and put it in a parlay card and things like that. Hey, listen, they got they got ping pong from Russia on on somebody's site. They could certainly have horse racing on somebody's site. I think it, the best analogy is um, when you look at the WalMarts and the big box stores that sell everything. How they have kind of dominated the retail landscape, uh, and now Amazon has even changed that. Where the the small uh, the small you know mom and pop stores get left behind because these other stores can can offer everything and I think that racing is a mom and pop store and we've got to either join forces with the 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 big box stores the Amazons of the world or or we're just going to get left behind and and I think I agree with you in that in that when um, when you're looking for content when people are looking for content uh, on these platforms and horse racing doesn't exist and and just being on there doesn't mean they're going to bet it. it but if it's not on there they certainly are not going to bet it and uh you know there's there's, exactly. there's a lot of uh a lot of things need to be i think one of the biggest problems and, and i had a guy chris rossi he's old crunk on twitter and i had him a couple of weeks ago and and he's a really sharp guy he's a, he's a data-driven guy he's he's uh He's got his own ideas, and, and uh, a lot of them are good ideas, and, and he's not uh, in any way affiliated with anyone in racing. And one of the, the constants that he and, and others um, have pounded away at is that racing has, has seemingly hit a ceiling with handle, and it's not breaking through. And most of the, the, the gains that tracks have are just losses that other tracks have it's it's just kind of rearranging the deck chairs and um, the constant theme that that is is very hard to to disagree with is that we need to grow the sport we need to get it bigger 
Uh, we need to get more handle on it. We need to get more eyes on it. We need to do more um, and, and and not keep resting on laurels and saying, oh, well, you know, this TV show, the ratings are up, so that's great, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, because in the end, even if a racetrack is really only paying attention to its only bottom line, it's going to be real hard to exist in a track uh, as a racetrack without supporting racetracks, without other areas of the country that are, that are going to support you and, and with their players and, and, and their horses even. And uh, uh, it just seems though we don't have a whole lot of growth strategies. We, we seem to have a lot of, um, you know, let's see if we can't take a little bit more, get, get more of the market share that exists instead of creating another different, bigger newer market and um and that's a little frustrating too because it's uh part of the thing like going back to what you said originally about comparison between boxing and horse racing is that uh uh you know there is very little coordination uh among tracks and tracks are the issue here tracks because they are the ones that hold the races they are the the ones that that the betters are are their customers so uh you know we need them to to take a different view as well and the horsemen have been um you know we, we have a theme that we've talked about on, about the horsemen's organizations here for a couple of weeks now is or months is that they're really not designed to handle the problems of a modern uh, a modern horse racing world they're designed to handle the problems when one one outfit went to one track and they had one meet and and then they went to the next track and there wasn't simulcasting and there wasn't ADWs and there wasn't rebates and there wasn't source market fees and and there wasn't much competition um and and that's a that's an issue as well and uh it's it's just it's hard you know like boxing the one great thing about boxing is when the best guys fight each other and you say I, I I can't tell you how many times when you'd watch a really great fight between two of the top fighters, and and after the fight you were like, wow, that's great. Like, why don't they do this all the time? Why 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 does it not now? Why are both these guys uh, gonna fight? Um, you know, twice in the next two years, and and both against guys who who you know who we could probably beat, <laughs> and and then you know. Uh, as Bob Aram calls it, you know, marinate, letting and letting the fight marinate forever. But it, it's you know, horse racing, we get that too. And, and uh, you know, where, where the Breeders' Cup and the and the, uh, the the, uh, the Triple Crown events are, are always great races because they're the gold, they're the end, the uh, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So no one's ducking those races. It's all it's all the ducking that's done prior to those races. Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely similarities, and you know, um, with uh, horse racing has become a lot like boxing, where they they just look at big events and trying to capitalize on big events, on um, big race days. You've seen Naira do it. You've seen uh, Gulfstream do it. You know, where you have um, instead of having it over the weekend, and it's been somewhat successful, but at the end of the day, like you said, the overall handle really hasn't grown, so it's going to uh, whoever has the biggest day, and it's just a shuffling of cards or chairs, like you like you said. How do you build uh, the overall? And my opinion is you could take a page out of the uh, casino book 
Um, you never see a slot tournament on a Saturday, but you'll see plenty on Mondays and Tuesdays. And the mentality, and I've worked with casinos in my business career, is we don't need to do anything on Saturday night. So is that something that uh, you know, racetracks need to look at uh, to grow the overall handle? Possibly. Um, their strategy seems to be bring them in for the big days, then try to bring them back to the other, uh, to the smaller days. But the big day player apparently doesn't want to play on the small days. So, or there's nothing to bring them back for. I'm not sure I have the answer, but um, there's different, um, certainly different strategies to try. And I think going back to what we were talking about before is, Sports wagering will be the answer to grow the handle or lose the handle that you've uh, been trying to just uh, stay at, you know, um, that has plateaued. You're trying to keep it from going down. You and I, um, you approached me a couple years ago about an idea that you had come up with um, talking about uh, about a handicapping contest, uh, a weekly handicapping contest, and the ultimate grand prize was going to be, uh, or was actually, um, a piece of a horse, a racehorse. Uh, yeah. And it was a, a free ride, of course, and uh, um, it was called Stable Duels. And Sable Battles. Sable Battles. And um, talk about that a little bit. Where you come up with the idea well, and, and, and uh, you know, how you think it, it can be expanded upon. Well, um, like most, uh, you know, I started out, like most people, being brought to the racetrack by my dad. She rest in peace and um, loved it. Had, you know, great, great experience. And um, always, you know, from... Always loved the handicapping, still do it, you know, today. Um, and then I got involved in, in tournaments. And I um, made it to, fortunately, this year will be my third year in the National Handicapping Championship. And so the excitement there and, you know, started to you know, enjoy that just as much as playing with uh, dollars through the windows, as they say. And, you know, at the same time, uh, I got involved with owning some horses, and I'm like, wow, best experience other than making hitting a big ticket is watching your horse win. I mean, there's ultimately, you know, nothing like it other than possibly seeing your child win a uh, win a sporting event. And um, what I try to do with with fable battles is try and combine all three and make it where you were uh, competing against other people as an owner. And your, your, your point system was based on the purse structure of the race and your accumulative weekly points and the overall uh, winner was uh, winning a piece of a horse, which we did through you and, and Troy through Tropical Racing, um, ownership of a horse. And... It was a lot of moving parts, 
because you had to educate people on the purse structure of a race, which my guess is if you went around a racetrack and you asked people about, you know, what does somebody get for coming in fourth in this race, there'd be three people that would know the answer. Uh, so the learning curve there was, was a big challenge, uh, in addition to the technology part as opposed to win, place, and show or um, uh, a point system. But basically the, the premise of it was people would choose horses in each race at one track, which we chose Gulfstream, and they would own that horse for that race. And at the end of the day, whoever had the most dollars from the purse structure of each race would be the winner of that day. We had a weekly, we had a, uh, that day was a weekly prize. We did it on Saturdays. And they would win a cash prize for no investment. And then it would be cumulative to, at the end of the 12-week um, contest, the grand prize winner would win compliments of uh, tropical racing, a ownership share in a horse. And you guys gave us the horse and we were able to promote the horse and all of that. And, it, you know, it grew a lot of excitement. It grew a lot of challenges because people didn't understand the purse structure very, very well, didn't understand that it wasn't something that we could um, give immediately like the winner of a race with the uh, payoffs, sometimes the purse structure through uh, who owns that Equibase, the data, takes time. There was a learning curve on it. Um, there were challenges. It was a great learning curve for me because there was challenges where you didn't, you, you realize that in certain states, I had a group of people call me up in Maryland, I believe it was Maryland, and say, what the heck? We can't, we, why can't we own the horse? And I said, I'm sorry, sir, but your state doesn't allow a grand prize as an, uh, in ownership of an animal. You cannot give away in any contest, free contest, an animal, either a share of an animal, a whole animal, whatever it is. So there were certain states that had to be excluded. And then the, the, the funniest part of the, the story is, and I, I think some people is a saying, I'm not sure if a, uh, what the saying is, but you're really not in business until you get sued. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Yes. But an executive from the Strana Group calls me up, um, calls me over when I was at, at Gulfstream Park and, and says, i got to talk to you. And I said, okay, what's the matter? He goes, i got to call it. You're getting sued. But they called me because they know the racetrack was, uh, that, that was the contest was part of was uh, a stronic racetrack. And I said, okay, who's suing me? And it happened to be a, another contest um, site because the logo um, looked similar. But I trademarked and, and, and it wasn't similar. And I changed it a little bit so that they can back off. But I said to the, uh, to the executive, I said, let him sue me, you know, like in Rocky Balboa. Sue me for what? The businesses have no money. So at the end of the day, they sent a letter, and I said, go ahead. Thank, you know, thankfully nothing happened. But it was a, it was a tremendous experience um, to realize how everything operates 
And also, uh, you know, the exciting part about people calling me up complaining, complaining that they won or they didn't win and to learn and educate them um, was really great because they had a passion for it. Even though they were yelling at you, there's a passion for that. And from my understanding, talking to you um, and Troy about it, the winner was extremely excited, you know, and happened to, I think he said, buy some more horses through other syndicates. So it was an overall good experience. Um, it was a challenging business experience from a financial aspect. But I think that moving forward, because it's not in business currently, moving forward, I'd like to bring something similar back, um, but with, uh, with different elements that could make it easier for, uh, for the player and for the business itself so that it, it, it runs simultaneously, but the excitement is still there and it's supported financially so that the, it can grow so that the, um, the players who, from my experience, the ones I've spoken to said were disappointed that continue, um, could grow because I believe that they would do other things. And with the aspect of, once again, back to sports betting, I think that a partner with racetrack and uh, sports betting with a contest like this, and I'm sure there's many legalities that have to be involved, which there was for this, uh, would, would be an opportunity for a contest site like that to grow where the players um, and enjoy it and they grow with it and the business can grow into something. Yeah, exactly. It, it's uh, it was a really good idea. That that's why I was I was super happy to um, you know to join in and and you know offer um, you know the piece of a of a of a horse and uh, Garrett uh, Garrett is the name of the the guy that um, won the contest and he he actually lives in California. He flew to Florida um, to to come see his horse with, with his family and. Uh, they took pictures, and his, his little girls posed with the horse. And uh, he wound up getting involved in in a couple other horses out in California, in in some uh, some syndicates out there. But this was kind of his first real step into it, and uh, it, it it was a success from that standpoint. And I think it was a it was a couple hundred people every week, right? Actually, there was uh, about uh, eleven hundred or twelve hundred people every week. It was from a number, from a data standpoint, it was extremely successful. A first go around to get about fifteen hundred people to sign up, and about you know eleven hundred people to play the first you know ten weeks. Then when people, the cumulative aspect of it, when people saw that they were out for the horse after the sixth or seventh week, there was a little bit of a drop off. But that you know that was part of the learning curve on my part, where you know I thought that the weekly prize would keep them in, and it kept in about sixty percent of them. But, you know, you're going to always have drop-offs because some people are playing for the big ticket and some people are playing for the, you know, the weekly prize. But from a number standpoint, to get, you know, um, like almost 1,500 people to sign up and think about that from, you know, from the business, from your business with, you know, syndicate, if you had 1,500, a list of 1,500 people, what's it worth? You know, the, 
there was, um, you know, it's a free contest. There were cash prizes, and there was definitely, a, you know, a passion for it. And um, just to keep it going, to not expand into something more is what the challenge was from a business standpoint on my end. And that's something that I'd like to, you know, at some point we look at. But, you know, um, one of the other things, and I think I mentioned to you, and we had a few laughs over it, is when I was marketing it, I certainly was marketing it at the racetrack in addition to marketing it, um, you know, industry sites and things like that. And I think, um, what was the name of the sire of the horse you gave away? Um, it was the name. I forgot the name of the sire of the horse you gave away. Uh, on the tip of my tongue, but um, one, one gentleman at the racetrack, when I it was, told him, you know, gave him the flyer for the contest, and, and I said, would you like to sign up? It's free weekly prizes, and, you know, I think the weekly prize was $300, and you get a piece of a horse, and, and, you know, he was putting whatever dollars through the windows and things like that, and he said to me, well, who's the sire of the horse? And it, it may have been Justin Phillip or, uh, one, one, you know, he, he, you know, a small sire, but, you know, uh, certainly not the, you know, uh, the top sire at the time. And he said, well, if you were giving away a tappet, I, uh, <laughs> I'd enter. And I said, uh, I pow- said power yeah, broker was the sire, power broker, uh, power broker. Yes. yes thank yes. you very much. And, and a nice horse, and a, you know, and I said, if I was giving away, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I'm also giving away a, you know, I wanted to say to him, yeah. And I'm also giving away <laughs> half a million dollars for free every week too. But, you know, it was once again a learning experience where, you know, um, I wanted to say, are you, are you kidding me? But I just said, <laughs> sorry, thank you, sir. But, you know, right now that's the horse we're giving away. And, I, I, you know, you know, do business and you walk away and you said, did he really ask for, you know, a piece of a million dollar horse that I'd be giving away? And you know what? That's, uh, you know, it made me think. It made me laugh and shake my head. But it made me think that if it can grow into, um, you know, uh, a popularity where, you know, more people get on board and more partners get on board and more racetracks get on board and more possibly farms and syndicates and things like that. Maybe one day we could give away something like that. Um, but it, you know, it, it had its challenges and, um, it was, it, it worked out to be where most of the players I spoke to were, were extremely happy and missed it. The grand, exactly what you said, you know, came in from California completely enjoyed it and um i try to get the goal of the contest was to try and get people to um have the share in the excitement that i know i do and i know that every almost everybody i know is owning the horse does uh to try and get a little bit of that experience you know to get in the game and have a little piece of the game um but you know there's um there's more to come with, with what my ideas and in, in, in that aspect of it, you know, so hopefully, you know, um, at some point, you know, able to expand and what I'm, you know, thinking of from that aspect is what I mentioned before. And, you know, we started at the beginning of the show is, um, I think that having a partner of, um, other than one racetrack and, you know, uh, which is great and one, um, syndicate, which is great. Having a partner like a 
sports betting operation, the DraftKings, FanDuel, or, you know, Caesars or William Hill or one of those that can um, include it in their platform uh, would make it, uh, you know, more viable. And it would only grow on their platform where they have free contests, free, free bets all the time. Make it a free contest to educate people and things like that and horse racing. Once again, it helps the horse racing industry because it put, gets that content on there and it gets uh, it's kind of a you know uh, synergistic you know effect to uh, both of them and where somebody like you know me who wants to put together the contest comes in. Obviously, it's building uh, building you know, the business and bringing it to them and seeing if they're interested. It was fun. It, it really was. It was a fun contest and, uh, it was, it was really unique that the way you designed it. And, uh, and I, hopefully that, uh, you can figure out a way to get, uh, a, a big, a big operator involved. Uh, I mean, if we can get FanDuel, I'm sure we can get a tap it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, why not? At, at least yeah. a good son of Tappet. I mean, Tappet seems to be awful, uh, awful hot lately. He's every week you look up and uh, maybe maybe not as quite as hot as Into Mischief, who's every seemingly every week has a another greatest stake. I'll winner, tell you, but, uh, I'll tell you one horse I know I can get is Run Happy because he just throws his money in that horse at everything. That's true, but uh, <laughs> you you can't let him pick the trainer. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, there's like like every like every other business, there's always challenges to uh, everything you want to run. But I, I think there's an opportunity for something along the line. And you know, we had this conversation when you know with the horsemen and trying to promote you know the excitement of ownership and the excitement of you know uh, coming to the races and uh, viewing horse racing. Uh, from a different aspect of, than just, you know, a gambling entity. But, you know, it's hard when uh, the main focus of a lot of the, you know, most of the racetracks is to grow handle. And I understand that. That's their business. But, um, you know, uh, that's the challenge. That's the challenge to get a major partner to, um, you know, to join board and do this when at the end of the day there's no immediate growth in handle. It's, it's more of a, uh, you know, a marketing tool to bring people uh, to the track and um, to the industry and to the game, as we call it. And then, you know, it's your job as, you know, the, the industry to get them to uh, steer them in a direction that you think, uh, you know, is going to grow your business. Uh, you know, nobody's going to refuse somebody walking into a store um, but when they get in the store, if it's a sneaker store, it's your job to sell them on, uh, you know, a pair buying a pair of sneakers. That's a great point. And, uh, like I said, hopefully we can, uh, find a way to, to revive, revive, um, stable battles. And, uh, and maybe I can even hit the board one of those weeks. I, I, God, I'm terrible at those things. But, yeah, but you know what? You knew how to calculate your earnings. <laughs> I did know how to calculate earnings. I just couldn't calculate any winners. That, that was the that was the hardest thing. I, I, I this is like a humble brag, but I actually did well at Tampa 
um, this past Saturday, and I swear it was like the first time I've won. Um, I've had a decent day, and I, I can't remember when. But uh, <laughs> but it's a challenge, and you know, listen, if it wasn't a challenge, uh, you know, like it's the old saying, if uh, if it was easy, everyone would do it. But um, but again, uh, I appreciate you uh, you coming on and uh, sharing some time and uh, some of your uh, some of your insight, your marketing wisdom and uh i'm sure that uh i'll see you at the races as soon as the races uh are allowing everyone in yeah no that, no thanks chuck i appreciate it anytime and um absolutely i can't wait to get back and uh you know have the thrill of watching the races live i mean it's uh there's nothing like it oh well, again thanks evan appreciate you coming on and uh like I said, we'll see you out there. It can't be long. It just can't be long until uh, things open up even a little bit more. So, to, absolutely, it's, it's, absolutely. It's, uh, it's the one thing you know, the, the camaraderie and and uh, the social aspect of the game is is uh, it's been missing for a year, and it's it's time to start to you know clawing back and getting that back. Uh, you know, there's uh, there's a million racetrack stories, and they're all you know entertaining to say the least. Um, you know, we both have many, but they don't exist when you're sitting at home. <laughs> so I can't, you know, um, some of them may be made up. Most of them are embellished, but when you're at the racetrack, if you sit there and you, you know, you go there, you know, weekly or whatever it might be, you're going to come across, um, you know, a bunch of stories of that happen. And they're certainly entertaining, uh, but you know, you don't get those. When uh, when you're sitting on your couch, unfortunately playing from uh, playing from home, so uh, it's one of the things. In addition to watching the races live, I miss most about going to the racetrack. So hopefully, you know, soon, like you said. Yep. Yes, sir. All right. Great. Thanks, Evan. All right. Be good. All right. We're going to go to a, a quick commercial, and on the other side, we'll have uh, trainer Jeff Engler. Why, in the past decade, has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA-supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bred racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horsemen. Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. All right, everybody. Thank you for for Evan to giving us his insight. Um, It was fun. It was actually a a fun little game, and and I look forward to uh, every Saturday. Picking about nine losers, and maybe every once in a while I'd come up with a winner. But uh, I, I really hope that the- this is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman 
Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going In Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. All right, everybody. Thank you for uh, to, for Evan to giving us his insight. Um, it was fun. It was actually a, a fun little game, and, and I look forward to uh, every Saturday <laughs> picking about nine losers, and maybe every once in a while I'd come up with a winner. But uh, I, I really hope that the, we can get that back, that back because that that was that was a good, good time. And like you said, to get fifteen hundred people to sign up with very very little marketing or advertising, and um, I mean that that's a it just goes to show you that uh, if you give people something that they're interested in um they will play you know so um with us now is uh is a trainer uh, I met last spring when when he came to uh to Florida for the first time um who's recently really uh started winning uh well he he won a race this past weekend with a name on it the Hutchinson uh Jeff Engler Jeff welcome to the show thank you and it's good to be here um, you, uh, I, I read your, uh, a little bit about your bio, um, and, and you've been, uh, training now about, uh, what, 10, 11 years. And, and how, how did you get into horse racing? Well, kind of a long story, Chuck, but when I was a teenager, I started working at a, uh, quarter horse farm with, for a guy that had poles and barrels, uh, champion horses. And I spent about four years there, four summers there, you know, just doing grunt work, cleaning stalls and, and, you know, learning a lot about the animal. And that's where I kind of fell in love with horses and the passion of, you know, wanting to do this for a living. But, uh, you know, obviously you gotta, you gotta have a little money behind you. So I ended up going to college and, and, uh, jumping into corporate America and spent, spent a good 17 years in corporate America and lucky enough for me, I did well and, and uh, I could walk away from it and, and dive into, uh, dive into the thoroughbred industry training horses. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing this. This is my 12th year and started off, you know, uh, back at what well, was called river downs back then. It's now Belterra park, but, um, you know, between river downs and turfway park for about five years. And then, moved on to Churchill and, and fairgrounds. And, uh, just last spring, um, made the move to Florida and we're going to be here, uh, year round. So. Uh, how did you decide to come to Florida? Like what was the your reasoning? Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, we do have a year round circuit and you don't have to move, which is a big advantage over a lot of other places. And certainly the weather is not bad, but, um, how, how did you, you, you figure that uh, Florida was, was going to be the best spot for you? Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, two things. One is, you know, we've been we've been going between Churchill and Fairgrounds, um, you know, for right around six or seven, eight years, and you know, you're just you're picking up, you're moving every five to six months, you know, uh, you know, new place to live, you know, it's it's you know, it's a it's a chore. And uh, so last last winter when we were at Fairgrounds and this COVID thing started blowing up. We ended up getting out of fairgrounds on the last day uh, before they shut it down. We got kind of lucky, and we went to Keeneland. And of course, we got into Keeneland, and they shut that thing down. So the only, the only, really, the only place that was running was was Gulfstream. And um, so we were at Keeneland, and I just started, you know, calling Mike Lakeow and 
you know, say, hey, can we can we come to Florida? You know, we'll stay. And after about 30 days, he finally said, yeah, you can come. And, you know, when we got here, we just fell in love with it. You know, it's we can be here year-round. It's good racing. Um, you know, you don't have to pick up and move your horses all the time. And, uh, you know, we really enjoy Florida. So, luckily, we've, you know, we came down here and we started off good. And we've had a, we had a good uh, summer meet. And we've had a, you know, a real good, championship meet so um you know we're looking we're looking forward to staying here for a long time well that's that's a good uh that's a good thing jeff it really is you know i moved down in 2014 and i i had kind of settled in new jersey and pennsylvania year round as you know the the moving thing does get old and i did it for years and years and i just couldn't deal with the winters anymore the, the training gets interrupted so much. The racing gets interrupted so much. And, and you just get to where, you know, you, you're just not sure where you're at with horses because you're you're just not training like you want to train. You're just doing what the weather allows you to do and the conditions allow you to do. And, uh, you know, coming down here in, uh, I came down here in uh, the, the fall of 2014, you know, being able to train every day, um, you know, not, not missing days, uh, races, I mean, listen, races don't always go, but you're, you're not going to get uh, a, a deep freeze that, you know, shuts the track for three or four days and, and you have no idea if they're going to bring the race back or they're not going to bring the race back. And, um, yeah, there's certainly a lot to be said about, about a year-round circuit. And uh, these days, there's just not a lot of um, there's just not a lot of options in that regard. Oh, I agree with you 100%. You know, spend five winters at Turfway, in the winter time, and you know there there would be times where we couldn't train for a week. You know, I mean, you get a big ice storm or a big snowstorm, and you know you're shed rowing horses for a week, and they're bouncing off the walls, and you know racing's canceled. So all the, the you know just like you said, all the races are backed up, and then you know you you might not get them in for another couple of weeks, and you know it's a problem. So um, you know down here it's great. You train every day. You you know Gulfstream races five days a week, even in the summer, and. You know the purses are good and and um, weather's good and you know it's just a it's a good place to be and for me honestly it was the moving thing you know I just I just got tired of moving every you know five months six months and you know picking up the horses picking up the the whole stable and loading everything up and going back and forth you know it's it's just a problem and I understand there's circuits that you have to follow but you know we're pretty much committed to Florida and um, now you know I'm going to send probably six or eight horses to Keeneland for the meet, but they're going to go up there for three weeks and they're, they're going to come straight back, you know? So it's not like we're, we're picking up the whole stable and moving up there. You know, there's some that, that we've got that we think we can win up there with, and, and we're going to send them up and give them a shot, but you know, they're going to come right back and we're going to be here for the summer. And, and, um, it's just great. I mean, we love it. That's, that's uh it's a good plan. I, I mean, going to Keeneland for a, a few weeks is, is never a bad thing and whether it be in the spring or the fall and uh uh well you know the the weather can be a little dicey in april in keeneland but uh you you know that uh you know that you're gonna have to run but they run for good money these days and i mean they always right you know keeneland always ran for good money and and winning there is really nice it's it's a it's a cool place it, it really is it is yeah it's a great place um let's talk a little bit about about uh willie boy um Willie Boy looked really impressive in the Hutchinson on Saturday. Uh, he certainly handled the uh, 
<laughs> the weather. You know, the one thing about down down here in South Florida, we can get these nasty rainstorms, uh, not quite hurricane level, but they can uh, roll in off the ocean, and next thing you know, it's it's a, a torrential downpour. Um, but he he ran really well, um, and he, he's I mean now he's won three out of his his, his four starts. Uh, his only loss coming in the Holy Bull, uh, which was uh, around two turns against uh, uh, you know one of the favorites for the Kentucky Derby. So um, where did you get uh, where did you get him? And um, you know, tell me a little bit about them. We bought uh, we bought Willie Boy uh, last year in the uh, October OBS sale um, for forty thousand, and uh, you know we got him down here and 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 right away. You know, when we put him in training, he he was, you know, he's just one of those horses that he loves being a racehorse. You know, he he loves his job. He's happy. Um, he loves to go out and train. And you know, so right away we knew, you know, that that he was he was going to be a good one. You know, I mean, he was just showing all the right signs. And um, you know, so he he broke his maiden first time out, going three quarters. Um. And then we ran him back in the one X, you know, against Florida Breads, going three quarters, and and he won, I think, by two and a half or two and three quarters, and really drew off at the end and won pretty easy. So, you know, that was that was when we, you know, made the decision to go ahead and give him a try in the Holy Bull. And you know, when you got a when you have a three year old that's two for two and and won pretty easy both times. Everybody get you know starts getting excited and the ownership and even myself and everybody wants to have a Derby horse you know so you know we thought what the heck let's give him a shot we know we're going to have to go around you know two turns and and see what happens and you know um, unfortunately in that race we drew the one hole and you know it was just um, Junior Alvarado rode him and and he really didn't have any choice I mean the. Willie Boy broke so sharp, and he he left there running. So you know he didn't want to strangle him and take the race out of him. You know the plan before you know before the gates opened was to you know kind of sit third or fourth. You know because the horse will relax. I mean Willie Boy is very um, he's very tactical. He'll do anything you want him to do. If you want him to go to the lead and gun him, he'll go. If you want to you know sit back, he will. And uh, <clears throat> so we thought we could do that but like i said he he left the gate running we were in the one hole and um he did the best he could and you know he got out on the front end and and i uh, was pressed the whole way and you know made it to the quarter pole and then you know kind of threw in the towel so you know we regrouped and you know kind of figured okay we gave it a shot didn't work out let's go back to sprinting you know he's a he's a sprinter and of course uh we put him in the hutchinson and and uh he proved that you know he's he's capable of being a high quality uh, stake sprinter because he he you know he really ran really well and um, you know he proved that he can run with us kind that was you know obviously open company and and he won by a length and three quarters kind of going away and and I know Dale's horse was kind of running up there late but um, it was never in doubt um, but you know Corey and I had a long discussion in the paddock about you know there was a lot of speed in the race and and Corey said well you know we'll just leave there and see where we're at. You know, if we're in the lead, we're in the lead. If we're not, then, you know, we'll just, we know he can, we know he can sit from off of it. So he sat there right behind him. And Corey told me after the race, you know, he had, he had a ton of horse going around the turn. And he said, you know, I just wanted to wait as long as I could before I pushed the button. And, you know, he did right at the quarter pole. And that's when he just split them and, 
and kind of drew off. So um, he's a he's a he's a neat horse. I mean, he's fun to have in the barn. He's very laid back. Um, you you can go in there and you know lay down and eat a ham sandwich in a stall, and he wouldn't care. You know, he's just very laid back. But he loves to train. He wants to go out and train, and, and he's a feel good horse. He's a happy horse, and you know, honestly, we're just trying to keep him happy. Yeah, that's that's uh, happy horses win a whole lot more than than uh, horses that aren't. That's for sure. Um, you yep. know, the Hutchinson, it, it's kind of in a different. Um, uh, it used to be early in the season, the three year old season, and it was kind of a kickoff event when guys raced horses, uh, derby trail type of horses, a lot earlier and a lot more than they do now. Um, right. But there's some really great horses have won the Hutchinson. I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're in some uh, so, some pretty uh, some pretty um, uh, impressive company when when you consider spectacular bid uh, and swell and uh, housebuster and uh, holy bull um, mm-hmm. more than ready. More than ready. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just like uh, uh, you know, just a lot of really great horses have won the race and. Uh, uh, you know, it's 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 been a, it was an important race for a long time, and it, and it's kind of now they they've kind of just uh, moved it in the schedule where it's actually ahead of the swale. It used to be behind. It used to be the first race was the uh, the Hutchinson, and, and the second race was the swale, and then people would would venture on to the longer races. But um, uh, what what are your plans going forward with him? Uh, are you looking at more Florida bred races? Are you looking at maybe? Uh, uh, you know, taking on open company again, uh, maybe something graded somewhere down the line. Well, I think right now um, we've got him penciled in to run on the 28th of March um, at Tampa in the Florida Cup uh, OBS stake. It's a hundred ten thousand dollars stake. It's going seven furlongs, but I, I think he can handle seven furlongs. And that's that's where we've got him penciled in right now. Obviously, we're gonna you know we're gonna see. You know, he came out of the race real good, but we're going to, you know, we're gonna, it's a pretty quick turnaround back in 21 days. So, you know, we're going to make sure that he's ready if that's where we're going to go. And, um, you know, if he's not ready, we're not going to run him. Um, he's a nice horse, and we want to make sure that we keep him that way. So I'm not afraid to run him, obviously, against open company. He's proved that he can he can win in open company. So, uh, you know, we'll just have to see. I mean, hopefully he tells us he's ready for for this race at Tampa, but if he says he's not, then, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what else is out there. And, but I, I fully expect to keep him in Florida. Um, you know, I haven't even looked really too far into the future as far as what kind of Florida stakes there are this summer at Gulfstream. I'm sure there's plenty. And if they're Florida bred, they're Florida bred. If they're open company, they're open company. I'm not really concerned about that. So, but he will be here in Florida, uh, all year. Right. Great. Um, the, the owner of the horse, uh, Lee Farms, uh, th- mm-hmm. they're your biggest owner. Tell me a little bit about about Lee Farms. Uh, Lee Farms, they they can't, they've been with me for about a year and a half now, and um, uh, Bill Cosgrove is the owner of Lee Farms, and he's a great guy, and uh, he's new and new. This is a new venture for him, and uh, he's he's just you know he's taking everything in stride. He's learning, and uh, he's doing a great job, and he's really excited about the business. You know, he wants to grow. Um, you know, he wants to get bigger. He wants to be a leading owner, and, uh, you know, we're obviously really excited to have him, and he's he's had some 
really nice early success, which is great. Um, as you know, in this business, it's extremely hard to, you know, to get started in this business on the right foot. And uh, he's, he's doing well. But he's also, he's also being very smart about the way he's going about things. You know, he's, he's doing a lot of research. He's not just going out and buying a bunch of horses and, you know, throwing stuff up against the wall and see what sticks. A lot of research going. We, we have, matter of fact, I have a 5 o'clock video conference call with him today. We have a conference call every week. And, you know, we, we go over a lot of things. We talk about horses that we want to buy or that we're looking to buy. Uh, obviously, right now we're talking about the two-year-old sale uh, next week at Ocala. So that's the call today. You know, we're going to go over, you know, probably 30 to 50 horses that we're looking at. And, you know, and then, you know, we'll do a deep dive of research. And, you know, he's, he's just going about it the right way. He's a very successful man. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of putting his corporate America hat on into the horse racing arena. And, and, and actually, I'll be honest with you, it's helped me out a lot in the last year. You know, he, he brings a lot of things to the table that, um, you know, I've never, you know, I honestly never thought of. So it's, it's a kind of a nice partnership. Um, got a great family and, uh, you know, they're just super excited. You know, they, they really want to be in this business, and they want to be in it the right way, and they want to be in it a big way. So, uh, you know, we're trying to do good for them. Do you think your your um, your experience in the corporate world uh, has helped you uh, from a business standpoint, uh, especially with, with uh, um, you know, this kind of uh, approach that this owner's taking? Absolutely. You know, one of the big things about, you know, trying to get new owners and, and all that kind of stuff is, you know, a lot of the people that you're trying to get with, you know, may be from the corporate world. And, you know, by spending 17 years in corporate America uh, and the last five as a vice president, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in boardrooms and doing presentations and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I think that being able to kind of speak their language a little bit helps. And, um, you know, People in corporate America look at things a little bit differently than we do here in the uh, in the horse racing arena. But you know, yeah, spending 17 years in corporate America and then and then trying to run a stable, it's, I think it's helped me out a bunch. You know, I mean, there's there's so many things that you know can go wrong in a stable with financially and and you know profit loss and you know just really figuring out how much does it actually cost to train a thoroughbred you know every day. And, uh, you know, so when you get all that figured out, right, I think it really helps. So I, I'm, you know, I would have loved to start training when I was 21 years old, but I, I'm glad I spent the time I did in corporate America because I, I learned a lot. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's going to help me, you know, in the long run. And it, I think it's starting to pay off now. Uh, what, what's, um, like, how many horses are you currently training? I, th- I think we see we got a new one yesterday, so I think that makes 24, 25, 25. Uh, is that the most you've had? I was I was at twenty five two years ago, but uh, so yeah, we're right at we're right at the top. What What do you think? Uh, you know, for your own personal um, uh, desires, how big of a barn do you want? Do you think you can handle? Uh, I mean, are you interested in, in trying to grow this into a? Um, a, a 50, 60 horse barn? I think that's a great number, Chuck. I mean, you know, I don't see, I don't see myself as being a, 
a Steve Asmussen or a Brad Cox or one of these guys that has 300, you know, horses. I, I, you know, I'm 50 years old. I don't know if I want to, you know, get into that. You know, you're talking about several different locations and a, and a whole lot of employees. And, uh, you know, I think if we can get this thing to that 50 or 60, um, basically, you know, two barns, uh, here at Palm Meadows, I would be, I would be really happy, and I think we'd be comfortable with that number. You know, honestly, once you get above a certain number, you lose that, you know, you lose that personal touch. And, and I think anybody that has 400 horses or 300 horses will tell you there's no way they can manage those, those numbers on a personal level. Um, you know, we're, we're still at a level, and I think I'd be at a level even with 50 or 60 that, you know, I still see every single horse every single day, and I and I put my hands on every single horse every day. So, you know, if I get to a point where it gets bigger than that, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know cap it because if I can't physically you know see each horse every single day, then you know that's when it's too big. But you know, we'll we'll kind of cross that when we get to it. But I, I do see us probably getting to that fifty to to sixty level here in the next couple of years. Yeah, you know, as much as I don't like the fact that this is the the reality of the situation, it has become a numbers game, and you almost have to have a, a certain number um, where you know you have enough uh, enough ammunition and, and enough power to uh, you know to to get to where you need to be, and and uh, it, it's uh, it's it's the it's the reality of the situation, and and like you said, those guys with two hundred horses, man. Like I don't know how to keep track of them. Just, just entering horses. Just uh, uh, making sure that they they all have um, coggins. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just simple things like that. It's it's especially when you have that many and you're coming and going, and that's the other thing. Right. Coming and going, and you're racing at all all these different tracks, and that's the one difficulty. That is the one thing that's really great about being at one track is that you're under one set of rules and. Um, there, there's just so many there's so many like technical small rules like i remember uh california was requiring for a while six month coggins so right. everywhere else you could get a coggins test and it would be valid for a year california had to get it six months and it's just one of those things that's so easy to forget when you know you're shipping a horse to race out there um and it's all of a sudden oh yeah by the way your coggins is no good <laughs> right and you're left right. scrambling uh and those are the the not even you know just talking about the medication rules which of course is, has been a a big issue and um hopefully at some point uh when all these federal um this federal kind of deal it, it all gets situated and and we see exactly what's going to go on that um We'll have a little bit better of, a, of an idea of, of where we're going to be going in that, in that direction, but you know, when, when you're racing at, at one track, it, it's um, you know under one set of rules, it, it certainly makes it easier. Um, you know, you're not having to, to worry about some of the some of the other issues. Uh, I remember you know being up like where you were even at, in River Downs and in, in that area, Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, uh, West Virginia. You, you know, they all have little little differences in in the rules, and, and it's something that you have to be cognizant of. Um, I believe one year I, I ran in seventeen different states, <laughs> and the worst part about it was having to file 
taxes, uh, tax forms, right. uh, reports in 17 different states, including the ones where you had one start and you didn't run any good, and then you had to pay the accountant uh, 500 bucks to <laughs> to, right. file, to file a dummy account. But um, yeah, that's uh, it, it's 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 nice to be in one spot, and uh, you know, I, I yeah, you haven't seen any hurricanes yet, but yeah, you know. I don't want to say they're yeah. over. I don't want to say they're overrated. We'll probably get wiped out next next this fall. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a cool thing. And, and I'm happy to see you're doing good. And uh, um, certainly, uh, hopefully, you guys can go up to o- Ocala. And uh, uh, there's you know the sale season is, is kicking off next week, and and get some live runners. And and uh, hopefully, Willie Boy can can go on and uh, you know keep improving and and become one of the the best sprinters out there. Yeah, you know, I mean, every time he sprinted, you know, he's won, obviously, and every time he's he's won, he gets a better number. He got a a ninety nine speed figure in the Hutchinson and an eighty one buyer, so that was his career best. So, you know, he's improving every time. So who knows? I mean, you know, he might be uh, he might be a horse that if he continues to improve every time he goes out and gets bigger and bigger numbers, I mean, you know, we're obviously going to have to look at stepping him up into graded company, and and then you know who knows? But well, you know, like I said, I'm. I'm just big on letting letting the horse tell me where they want to go and and when they're ready and you know so hopefully he tells us he's ready to go to Tampa and and if not so be it we'll you know we'll wait for something here at Gulfstream so but right now you know based off what I see right now I'd say that uh, we're probably ninety five percent going to go to Tampa I mean he trained today and he was super happy and and uh, you know playing coming off the track and. Uh, my exercise rider was just laughing, shaking his head, coming off the track. So, uh, you know, I'd say we're I'd say we're looking pretty good to go. That that's great. You got a, you got anything else? Uh, anything coming up that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, I'm going to run um, Citrus Burst in the Silks Run on Saturday, and uh, you know, Citrus Burst is an exciting horse to watch run because he's a he's a real hard closer going five eighths on the turf. So he's he's just you know I love those hard closers and you know they always make it exciting you know it's just a matter of if he, if he, he's going to get there or not so he's fun to watch he'll be flying late and um i tell you i got another horse that i'm really high on and his name's fuego caliente and uh, we enter him wednesday for saturday as well one uh, x turf race for three-year-olds and this horse just continues every he he just gets better every day and he ran a really nice race last time in the one x he ran fifth, got B two lengths, but um, you know Corey rode him, and he admitted that you know he waited too long. He's another late runner, and uh, so I, I'm really looking forward to that race, and I'm really looking forward to how good this horse is going to get because every single day he trains, he just gets better, and um, I, I'm I'm super high on him, so I'm looking forward to that, and um, I think I have uh, Mystery Mo. He's a he's a uh, three year old. Uh, gonna gonna run on Saturday too, made in special weight. So we'll, we'll we'll have a pretty interesting weekend, and and hopefully we can come out with a winner or two. Sounds great, Jeff. And any horse named uh, Hot Fire's got to be all right. That's right. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you giving us some time, and uh, and good luck uh, this weekend. All right. All right, Ruka. That was Jeff Angler. He's got uh, a really nice horse, Willie Boy. Looks like he's going to be a. Uh, a sprinter that might make some noise this summer. Uh, we're going to go to commercial and come back with uh, Tammy Gant and Crystal Ferning 
um, talking about uh, um, a donation that that um, the Fernings are making that's going to benefit the uh, Marion County Cultural Alliance and the Florida Thoroughbred Charities. Uh, we'll have them when we come back. Why in the past decade has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bred racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome back, everyone. We are in the home stretch of today's show. Um, Joe... Villante is going to be doing um, some restaurant reviews. Joe is is one of the uh, the racetrack foodies, and with his job, he gets to go all over the country. Uh, he goes from Florida to California to the Midwest to Arkansas to Saratoga. Uh, he lives in Philly. He's in, he's over in Jersey. He's everywhere. And uh, as part of the Going in Circles uh, digest. Uh, the, the the newsletter that we put out every week every, every few weeks we're gonna do a a, a Joe's uh, uh, restaurant racing city restaurant review and uh, he he's already done one and uh, I tell you the guy the guy knows food and uh, uh, his products are good uh, if you're an owner ask your trainer and if you're a trainer call Joe um, we have on with us uh, to here uh, Kim Weir has been on our show quite a bit. Uh, and and we love to try to help out uh, the retired horse race horses, and and it's a huge uh, it's a huge issue in our sport that that's really the, a lot of strides have been made. And the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and Kim and and, and those the, her crew and and they, they've really done a lot of, of of great things, and and they're expanding and they're um, they're they're going all over the place. Uh, they they have a a facility now in, in Ocala uh, that we talked about a few weeks back, and. There is a horse sale coming up next week at OBS, um, a, a two-year-old training sale with a lot of really, really good horses. Uh, people from all over the world will be there to, to buy horses. Um, and the last um, hip <laughs> to, to, to go through the ring is actually a, uh, a, a piece of art that's being donated by Crystal and Brent Ferning uh, of Journeyman Stable. And... Uh, with us is, is Tammy Gant of the Thoroughbred uh, Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association, and, and Crystal Ferning from Journeyman Stud, and, and uh, the the proceeds are going to be donated um, to you know good causes. Uh, among them, uh, the Thoroughbred uh, 
the Florida Thoroughbred Charities, and and, and I guess the the TRF is is a part of that. And uh, uh, I, I really I wanted to, to to reach out to you guys and and talk about um, about this piece of art and and, and what you guys are doing. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Um, Crystal, uh, you you and and your husband have had this piece of art for about a decade. Is that correct? Yes, we bought it at the second horse fever auction. Um, the first one was in 2010, raised almost a million dollars, and it actually funded the second charity that's being uh, donated to, other than Florida Thoroughbred Charities, is Marion Cultural Alliance. And they've um, done wonderful things um, for this community. One of the best things they do is they give grants out to, to artists and um, they, the start of Marion Cultural Alliance has gone now for these 20 years to where our public art, the amount of public art that we have here in Ocala and Marion County is more than, compared to size, more than Chicago. The art has just exploded here. The second, as you said, was Florida Thoroughbred Charities um, that Tammy can tell you more with um, that the second chances Thoroughbred Retirement Farm is at the Women's Correctional Institution in Lowell, an absolutely wonderful program that has done so much to change women's lives. It's got a, like a 3% recidivism rate, um, just a wonderful program. And Tammy and I kind of played around with doing this at the March Gala, um, Awards Gala in 2020, and as everybody knows, everything got canceled in 2020, so... Uh, FTC did not get to have their March Gala in 20. They didn't get to have their large, um, very productive um, golf tournament. And this year in 2021, they're still not going to get to have their gala, which are it's a huge hit fundraising-wise. So some friends of mine are doing the Horse Fever 2020 Anniversary Edition. We had bought Clockwork Fury at the 2010 Horse Fever um, Project. And he has stood outside of our stallion barn all these years, like as our ambassador, greeting people as they were coming in. We get a lot of tours from around the country, around the world here, and he's been photographed by everybody. He's a really cool horse. He does, he's a kind of a steampunk kind of um, look to him. He's, uh, the horse fever horses are all fiberglass. And his creator, Mark Hirschberger, um, actually designed him after this kind of steampunk kind of um, design, and he cut him up, put him back together. He everybody who sees him thinks he's metal with the way that he's that he's done, and the inside is just full of gears and levers. And now he's racing to 2020 technology. He has a, a full operating fiber optic system. He has a sound system in him. He can generate his own power. It's just what he does he does so many things it's kind of hard to enumerate all that they have and obs um once we got him included in the horse fever 2020 project obs was gracious enough that they agreed to let us sell him at at the march sale and so off we go i'll be honest i I looked at the picture of him at at the uh, trf website they have a a link to the clockwork fury auction and i I'm really surprised that he's not metal because he he certainly looks like he's metal um, just yeah. in the picture. 
Yeah, we Mark did some other great things to make him more user friendly for anybody who would want to purchase him. Um, he's added some removable handles. Um, he has some um, really old antique wheels underneath his feet, so he can move forward. Um, he doesn't scoop side to side real well, but the four handles that are removable, you can you know four average size guys can pick him up and move him pretty quickly. Um, he would be great for somebody who loves that kind of art. I think he would be great if somebody were to buy him and donate him to a museum with a children's wing, a hospital wing, you know, something. Because children just go nuts when they see him, especially when he's doing all, all of his stuff. And he will be at OBS in the lobby starting March 11th. And everyone will be able to see everything that he does. And he will be there through his cell day on March 16th. Okay, so so that's just in a couple of days now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're uh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure Mark's be... still putting more stuff on him, right, Tammy? <laughs> oh yes, Mark. Mark loves him, and Crystal loves him. So I, it'll be hard. We'll have to wrench him away from the current um, donor and the artist. But yeah, what's great about it is um, for folks that can't get to OBS in person, there is a phone bidding option which OBS has so graciously set up for us. And so folks can come in person and see him and bid on him there just as though they would bid on a horse or they can use the phone system. And then those folks that, that aren't bidding um, can watch it on obssales.com, which is just, just great so everyone can take part even if they're not all together in one space. Uh, Tammy, tell us a little bit more about, about uh, Thoroughbred Charities, Florida Thoroughbred Charities. Yeah, so Florida Thoroughbred Charities started in the late 90s. It was a, kind of a brainchild of that board at the time, which happened to be George Steinbrenner and um, Dick Hancock, who was the former executive director for the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. So when they started it, one of the things that they wanted to do was do something for Thoroughbred Retirement. And so a lot of our fundraising goes to Thoroughbred Retirement. And so the Lowell Farm, um, the Second Chances Farm, which is actually a Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation farm, began um, 20, 21 years ago. It'll be this spring, 21 years ago. And so we, we have been the, the fundraiser for that for all those years, in addition to some other funders along the way. And so we, we have to raise quite a bit each year um, in order to support our 50-plus horses and then also our equine education program, so 15 inmates um, a session go through. They earn an equine certification degree. And when the women get out of prison, many of them had no horse experience before, but when they get out of prison, then they're able to have gainful employment on horse farms. And if not horse farms, at least the horses have given them the skills to learn how to deal with people, to have patience, and, and to work through things that they might have, um, the reason why they might have ended up in, incarcerated anyway. So it's a wonderful program. It is the first and only female prison program in the country. Um, there are many others that TRF has, has modeled, um, and those are male inmates. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to see the horses have lifelong homes and that the horses continue to give back day after day with the learning they provide for those women. Yeah, it's really a great program. And what the TRF has done with their Second Chances program um, all over the country is, is really it's so, it's so good in it that it's not just a uh, – um, a, a program to give the inmates something to do, but it's teaching them skills. And I mean, horses. Uh, sometimes in racing, we we get a little bit, um, you know, hyper focused on, on just the racing part of it and uh, the you know the breeding and the sales. But the horses are, are a, a huge worldwide business. 
Uh, I mean, there's so many horse farms and, and uh, places that, that have nothing to do with racing. And, you know, to be able to find gainful employment in, in these places and, and work with horses and have the skills that you can go uh, and, and get a job um, right off the bat. I, I know a big problem in the thoroughbred industry has been uh, the racing industry, um, and I'm sure it, it, the farms as well, it, is finding experienced help that that knows horses, knows what to do. Because, I mean, working with horses can be dangerous, especially if you're, you're not experienced at all. Um, and it's not easy work. It, it's, it's hard work. It's physical work. And, uh, you know, to give them the skill to be able to find a job uh, wherever it is that, uh, you know, they, they land, I, I think it's, it's, it's really an important factor um, in, in getting those people back uh, on their feet. Yeah, one yeah, of my and I favorite think, stories. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Tammy. Okay, I think what it does is it, it does give an opportunity to create that um, equine talent pipeline that our industry is always going to need. We have 80,000 horses in Marion County. We have almost 400,000 in Florida. Florida is the third most populous horse state. Only, only bigger ones are Texas and California, and they're just by sheer size bigger states. And so when you think about the workforce that is needed, if we can give each woman that comes out of this program an opportunity, then, you know, we've served society well, but we've also given them an opportunity to create the next generation of folks that are going to be in our business. No, no doubt. Crystal, you had a story? Well, there was this uh, one story that just really has stuck with me, and um, there was a young woman who was in her, like, 19 years old, and um, she ended up in the Lowell Correctional Facility. And uh, you have to apply to be in, in the and the program, and she got in and never had been around horses before, um, graduated the program, started galloping for one of the large um, two-year-old pin-hooking operations here in town. They taught her to gallop, and um, she was just a natural at it, and now she's um, been out for a long time, has been galloping for quite a while. She's married. She has a child. She has a home. And she will tell you that um, it's because of that program. Yeah, it's, it's really great that uh, that we're not only helping the horses and finding a, a place for the horses, a soft landing. It, it, it's 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 an industry wide issue, and and it's um, I said earlier, it's being addressed better than it was. There's no doubt about that. There's more focus on it. There's more funds being um, spent on it. There, there's more. Uh, there, there's certainly a lot more awareness, but the one great thing about the TRF programs are that they're they're helping people as well, and and that's I think is is really why this is uh, you know an important program, and why we're always willing to give uh, any time and and any support uh, uh, and and encourage others to to give support, and especially in the monetary way, um, you know, to keep these programs going and and to keep expanding upon them. Yeah, one of the things yeah. I think people need to think about is. There's lots of opportunities, especially here in Ocala now, for repurposing horses because the hunter-jumpers are, you know, there's a lot of those here. There's a big polo community here. But eventually a horse, just like us, gets old enough that, you know, they physically can't compete anymore. But what they can give, you know, in, a, in an organization like this, there's so many businesses now and, and organizations that are realizing that horses can be used to help people who need to get through things. And to me, I like to look at it as, you know, even though they can't give physically anymore, they can sure still affect people's lives and, and 
be an important part of of society to say with with uh, being needed and needing a place to be able to do that. Yeah, there's no there's no doubt, and uh, I mean, I just can't stress to people that the uh, you know these these are great programs, and and um, and they need support. They do need. Uh, the money to to keep uh, to keep funding them to keep uh, allowing these uh, uh, you know new programs to open up and and like you guys were talking about this is the first women's only uh, program you know for a women's only um, facility a correctional facility but I mean you know you just think that there's there's just so many opportunities all throughout the the, the country um, you know to to do more of these and and hopefully. Uh, Hopefully people will keep supporting them, and and hopefully we get a, a a big ticket. Hopefully someone really falls in love with Clock Clockwork Fury and and uh, and and makes a a, a big uh, writes out a big check for him. Well, Chuck, we're hoping for that six figure. We don't want to scare anyone away, but we'd love <laughs> to see a six figure number come out of that um, because the horse is unique, one of a kind. Uh, he's a treasure. He's awesome inside, outside. You know, any location you can think of, he's going to be um, definitely a conversation starter, conversation piece, and wherever he's placed, people are going to see a lot of residual marketing from it because they're going to see so many of those photos all over the world show up because people snap photos of him constantly. That's really a great point, and uh, uh, I can't, uh, I'm going to keep pushing this, I'm going to push it on on all the social media that I can and, and see we can't get uh, uh, some others to pick it up and, and, and promote it. And uh, hopefully, uh, like I said, hopefully he brings uh, he he's hopefully he's the, uh, the, the highest selling uh, of the, of the, the lots. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, I would make me faint, but that would be good. <laughs> well, we don't want to, we don't want anyone to, to, to get hurt, but uh, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully he, he does bring uh, good money and, um, and and just the awareness, like I said, the the awareness that that you guys are creating by doing things like this, um, it's it, it's it's unique and it's it's different than uh, than just you know. I mean, listen, I I know you got to raise funds, and and sometimes it, it gets to be people are get a little numb about it. You know, they hear about it a lot and they understand it's important. But uh, this is the, definitely a, a unique way to attract attention, and and uh, I think uh, you know. Uh, Crystal, you and your husband should be should be commended for uh, for being willing to donate this uh, really great piece of art. Well, you know, it was was one of those things that um, Tammy's the one who's led me through this for sure. You know, she's the one who's kind of guided my you know my I I kind of had the the seed, and she's the one who's who's really helped um, who's helped me flesh it out. So I don't know that I could have done it without her. That's- Thanks the team, Crystal. But I have to say one of the things is Crystal and her husband, Brent, have been very generous throughout the years with the Florida Thoroughbred Charities. Even before this, she's had um, auctions at her stallion shows. And, and actually our whole community has been very, very supportive. So when you say sometimes folks get numb, I've always been very um, pleasantly surprised that folks continue to step up and, and help in any way they can, whether that's getting, you know, reduced fencing when we had to rebuild the fencing at the TRF farm when the hurricane blew over the old hobo farm fence, um, to because we had old fence there to begin with, to, um, you know, helping us raise funds to plant trees to create some more shade areas for paddocks. We've always had folks that have been um, very generous, and we, we thoroughly appreciate that. And Crystal and Brent 
are just one of those examples for sure. And Crystal is very creative in how she thinks about um, ways to make a difference. And after you go to the farm and meet the women, it's 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 really amazing how it, we can talk about it, but when you go there and see people and hear their stories and hear their struggles and what they've overcome, it's, it's just life-changing on to how you will commit to finding ways to raise funds for the program. Yeah, it's really it's really a great thing, and uh, like I said, in the future, anytime you guys have anything that you you want us to talk about, you want to come on and and do an interview or, or have us promote or or uh, you know just to talk about in any way, shape, or form, we're we're always a hundred percent willing to do that, and uh, um, you know we support you guys one one you know one hundred percent, and and I think this I, I think you got I think you're on the right track with this. I, I sure I sure do think that uh, this is. Uh, you know, uh, an excellent, a really great thing. Well, we appreciate well, you. The, the time on your show. We really do. No problem. And uh, hopefully, uh, like we said, we'll we'll, uh, we'll be watching. Uh, I don't think that I'm going to make it up to uh, Ocala. We have to, to tape the show here. Uh, I don't think I can get Casey to go on the road. But um, we'll be watching for sure uh, the live bidding via OBS. Um we're going to put uh, post everything on our social media, all the links. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I just really, I, I got a good feeling about it and um, I appreciate your time and, and, and all the effort and energy you guys put into, to helping the, you know, our retired horses and, and these people. Uh, it, it's, it's really, it is appreciated. Well, thank you. All Thanks. Right. We hope your listeners end up with a beautiful uh, clockwork fury in their, in their front lawn soon. Uh, I hope so. I, 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 unfortunately, I think most of my listeners probably aren't going to be able to go six figures. I, but um, well, we always have maybe We can. We can. Well, continue. you know, maybe that full stream five million dollar pick six will happen again, and one of them will get that. <laughs> well, maybe one of them will get that. I can guarantee you that it won't be me because I can't barely pick two, let alone six. But, but if I do, I, 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 I'll make this commitment now. If it's me, I'll, I'll buy it for sure. <laughs> well, well I, I'll be rooting for you, Chuck. I, I'm not going to give you any of my selections, though, because they didn't really work out last weekend myself. Yeah, <laughs> I was. It was funny talking about it earlier in the show. It's like you know, I actually had a pretty good day at Tampa on Saturday, but it's been so long. I can't even remember the last time I can say that. But uh, I said I'm going to brag a little bit because I haven't been able to say that in a long time. But I, I, I liked Mark Cassie's horse, and and he wanted a nice price, and. Uh, uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's always good to see uh, the, you know, the Florida people winning those those kind of races. Oh, definitely! And Tampa's a wonderful place to cash a ticket too. It's such a great atmosphere. Yeah, you know, honestly, we were me and um, a friend, couple friends, were, were considering driving up for the day, and then the weather forecast just looked so, um, you know, it just looked ominous. Um, and, and as it winds up down here in South Florida, we probably got it worse. It, it was pouring at Gulfstream. I mean, just absolutely pouring for about a half hour where you could barely see, you know, you get those, those Florida rainstorms and, um, it's, it's just part of, it's part of living here. That's, that's all. But I know one thing, it's not going to snow. So we're good with that. <laughs> all right. Good point. Good point. <laughs> all right, Tammy, thank you. And, and, uh, uh Crystal, Thank you guys for for coming on, and uh, like I said, we'll we'll do everything we can in between now and next Tuesday to uh, to try to promote and get the word out, and and uh, hopefully we can we'll see big tickets on 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 uh, on old Clockwork Fury. Oh, thank you. 
All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You too. All right. That's um, TRF Second Chances Program, the Florida Thoroughbred Charities, the Marion Cultural Alliance Fundraiser. Next Tuesday, probably right about this time next Tuesday, um, they're, they're, they're saying between four and five is the prediction. Um, Clockwork Fury will be will be up for bid, and he's he's kind of a cool looking horse. And uh, I'll put the the website and the links on on um, the Facebook page and the Twitter page, and um, kind of check it out. And uh, it's it's interesting, but uh, any support that you can give these programs, it, it really is is important. And I know there's a lot of people and a lot of groups out there that that need help all over and in all kinds of um different areas but um organizations uh, like like the TRF you know do a great job and and um uh Michael Blowen does a great job there there's really a, a tremendous amount of, of people Katie uh, Schmidt at, at uh, Florida Track does a, does a great job um Raina Gunderson um who who does a lot of the work for um Gulfstream and uh, FHVPA and, and, and placing horses, they do great jobs. And um, there's there's a lot of private, uh, you know, citizens that that are that are doing um, a lot. Uh, Sold Ollie was a hold hard knocker uh, who who got hurt in his last race. Um, he's found a home already uh, down here. My friend Tara picked him up from the racetrack, and, and he's got himself a. Uh, a pretty nice forever home that that he's going to and uh there there's a lot of people there's a lot of bad things that you hear about um the the industry and uh the, the issues and the troubles that we have but there's a lot of good people and there's a lot of good programs and there's a lot of good things that that are happening and and uh like today like you know I I'd rather talk about John Henry and 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 uh uh in an auction at OBS um that's going to benefit uh, a program like, like the Second Chances program, than um, than just talk about all the the negative stuff. Um, we will be back next uh, next Monday night from the Big Monday Show. Um, we might have a special edition show later this week. Uh, we kind of haven't got it all the in, ins and outs ironed out yet, but. Um, if if so, we will be uh, making that announcement. If it's not this week, it'll be next week. Um, but we do have next week's Big Monday show. We have the Going in Circles live next Tuesday. Uh, the Going in Circles Digest is going to have uh, Joe's, Joe V's, Racing City uh, Restaurant Review. His, his second review is, is going to be uh, uh, on this week's newsletter. And if you followed last week's newsletter, we gave out some pretty good uh, tips to you um, in, in the weekend stakes review. Uh, Helium was one of the horses that we uh, we can say that we, we were giving a push on. It, quote, could be a factor at a nice price. Um, Weyburn is another horse. It may be a long for a share late if Trevor McCarthy can get him a rate of touch and Trevor McCarthy did and did a great job. Uh, Barry had a crowded trade in that race, which, which gave us the exacta. 
Uh, and Barry was a, a big, big proponent of life is good, who, who, who looked uh, unfortunately like a, a short price, but he was he was the winner. And um, you know, sometimes it helps to to get some free advice. But um, only one derby prep this week: the Rebel at Oaklawn. It's been drawn. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting field of uh, eight. Uh, the couple decent horses in there. So uh, Baffert, uh, Baffert's got a shipper. Brad Cox brings back Cato River, who's uh, who, who won the Smarty Jones by ten. So it's a little bit of a light week compared to last week, but uh, it's a good race and and it's been an important race on the Derby Trail the last few years with getting some runners um, from there. But um, the we're really closing in on the end of the Derby uh, prep season. April third is uh, is the day. Um, uh, there, there is the Arkansas Derby on the tenth and the Lexington, uh, which is only a twenty point race. But Derby prep season is, is only got a couple more weeks to go, and and these races are are, are mostly hundred point races, and um, and uh, you know the 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 winner is 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 he, he's out there. I I just um, I just don't know if we see him yet uh, or seen. Uh, enough of him yet all right uh thank you to everyone for listening uh thank you for kate to casey as always and uh everyone uh that was able to come on today evan friedman uh jeff engler and uh crystal ferning and, and tammy gant um appreciate all your time and and uh words of wisdom uh we will see you guys either maybe later this week but probably next week this is the going in circles podcast hosted by horsemen Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Why in the past decade has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them, is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bread racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215 501 6880.